to the chief musician with stringed instruments, the contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. So we come to Psalm 54. It's one of those... Uh, like many of the psalms we've been in the last few weeks, that tells us exactly what are the circumstances of this psalm. It says that it's a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? This story unfolds for us in the Bible in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 24. In this passage, David is on the run from Saul, Saul is pursuing him with the might of his army. Saul's desire is to catch and to wipe David out. In the midst of this, David runs to this place where the Ziphites are. In fact, I'm going to read this passage. 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 24. 1 Samuel 23, 15 to 24. Well, starting in verse 14, actually. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hills of Hachalah, and which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, Come down according to all the desires of your soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said to them, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan, on the plain in the south of Jeshimon. You can see the circumstances there. David is running from Saul. He's hiding in these woods and these strongholds. And these people 
These Ziphites, who are Israelites living in this area, who don't even know David. In fact, David will say here in Psalm 54, they are strangers. They, they have nothing against me. I don't even know them. They have no reason to turn me in, and yet they have turned against me. They're his brethren, and yet they turn against him. And they run to Saul, and they say, hey, we know where he is. Come, we will help you to get him. So those are the circumstances of Psalm 54. As you work your way through this psalm, you see kind of a progression. The first half uh, is David's prayer, and the second half is David's deliverance. We really can kind of broke it up in, into almost four places. Verses 1 to 2, David's prayer. Verse 3 really unpacks David's situation. Verse 4, David's hope. And then verses six to, 4 to 5, David's hope. And then verses 6 to 7, David's deliverance. First thing you see in verses 1 to 2 is David's prayer. Save me, O God, by your name. And vindicate me by your strength. Save me, O God, by your name. By who you are. David knows who his God is. His God is a God of justice. He's a God who is great. A God of all power. He is creator. Therefore, because of who you are, O oh God, save me. You are a God who loves justice, and I am innocent. David has done nothing wrong in this instance. There are instances in the Psalms where David has clearly done wrong, and he comes to the Lord with that. But here, David's done nothing wrong. David is on the run from Saul, not because David has sinned against Saul, but because God has appointed David to be king. David is on the run, not because of David's sin. He's really on the run because of Saul's sin. Saul's unwillingness to accept what God has said. And so David is crying out, I am innocent. I have done nothing wrong here. I don't deserve this. You are a God who is holy. A God who loves justice. Protect me, save me by your name, who you are. Not only because you're a God who loves justice, but because you are a faithful God and you have made me a promise. And I know you will keep that promise because you are faithful. Therefore, save me. In fact, don't just save me, it goes on, vindicate me by your strength. Save me, but then not, not only save me, but stand up for me. Prove me to be right. Prove me to be innocent. You've probably seen a, in a movie or, or read a book where, where someone saves, like a, a military uh, operation, where they go in to, to save someone. And they get that person and they get out. And no one even knows they've been there. That's not what David is saying here. Save me. 
But I want everyone to know that you have been here. Save me and vindicate me. Stand up for me. Prove me to be right. Let everyone see that I am innocent. That my God is great. My God has done this. Save me and vindicate me. Verse 2, hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. David pours out his requests to the Lord. Save me, vindicate me, hear me, give ear to me. Don't, don't abandon me, God. I, I, I'm in these woods, I'm in these strongholds, I'm, I'm hiding from Saul, but I cannot hide from you. You see me where I am, you hear me where I am. Hear me, God. Hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Then in verse 3, we see David's situation. He unfolds exactly what's going on for us. Why does David need saving? Why does he need vindication? We've already seen it, but he unfolds it here. For strangers have risen up against me. Strangers. There's no reason for them to be rising up against me. As far as I'm concerned, they are strangers. I have done nothing to them. I am innocent in this. And oppressors have sought my life. Obviously, that is Saul and his armies as they are pursuing David. They are oppressors. They are seeking after him. They want to kill him. And then these strangers are helping them. Why? Because they have not set God before them. And this is their greatest problem. They prefer pleasing the king over pleasing the Lord. I find it interesting in that passage, 1 Samuel 23, 15-24, as, as the Ziphites bring this news to Saul. Saul says, thank you. May the Lord bless you. The Lord's not going to bless them because they are going contrary to what he has said. They don't care for the Lord's blessing. They prefer to please the king. They've not set God before. They don't care about God and they don't care about anything that God says. They care little for justice. They want reward. Their eyes are on the immediate. They are focused on the here and now. And notice the Selah at this point. I don't often point them out. But I think it's important at this. It's important everywhere. It is in Scripture. But, but it stood out to me here. It's almost as if David is pouring out these requests to the Lord. This is what is going on. Save me. Vindicate me. Hear me. Give ear to me. This has happened. This person is trying to, to, to kill me. There's oppressors. There's strangers. They don't care about you. It's almost as if he's running out of breath as he's listing all these things that are going on. And then he just, he pauses. He takes a second to be still. perfectly timed pause. We hate silence, do we not? 
when it gets really quiet, we, we start to get fidgety. It just it feels weird. Someone should say something. Especially when you're up front and you're speaking and, and your mind kind of freezes for a second. And you're thinking of what to say and you're tempted to go, um, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just because you want to feel that silence. We hate silence. But don't fear silence in prayer. Sometimes we need to just sit in silence, to be still, to be calm. Even as we just sang, still my soul be still. Be calm. Take a second to pause. And what makes it so powerful in this psalm is the drastic shift between verse 3 and 4. After that, Selah. After that, pause. In the first three verses, David seems fidgety. He's got this problem, this prayer. He's bringing it to the Lord. Vindicate me, save me. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. He pauses. And he comes back in verse 4 with this. Behold, God is my helper. Sometimes we need a pause. Sometimes that pause is long as we just sit in silence with our Lord. Sometimes we need a silence because we don't know what to say. Behold, God is my helper. Notice the word is. He doesn't say, behold, God was my helper. Behold, God will be my helper. But God is my helper. I have a present problem. And I have a God who is present with me in this problem. He is my helper. Again, this goes back to who David has said at the very beginning, according to, your, by your name, who you are. You are faithful. You love justice. Therefore, I know you are my helper. I know you've not abandoned me. I know that you hear me. W. Graham Scroge says this, and I love this quote, the, the power of drawing a brighter future into a dark present belongs not to those who build anticipation on wishes, but to those who found their forecasts on God's known purpose and character. David's not building this prayer on what he wishes would happen. I wish you would do this, God. I don't know if you will. I wish you would. His prayer is rooted in who God is and in what God has promised him. Therefore, his prayer is bold. You will do this. You are doing this because this is who you are. This is what you have promised. God is my helper. In contrast to the Ziphites who look to Saul. They run to Saul for help and for reward. David says, you go to him, but the Lord is my helper. And the Lord is with those who uphold my life. You seek an a immediate reward. 
But the Lord is with me and he's with those who uphold my life, who promote justice. David knows who God is. He knows God's promises to him. And David clings to those promises. It's because David believed God that the circumstances here don't throw him off track. They don't throw him into a frenzy. As Philippians 4 says, it's, he has peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense for him to have this attitude at this point. With Saul pursuing him and everyone turning against him, how could he say this? How can he be so bold? How can he be so excited? Because he knows who his God is. He is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Not only does the Lord reward those who uphold my life, who defend me, who stand for justice, he will repay those who hate justice, those who hate him, those who hate me. He's a just God and justice will come. He will repay them. Notice, he will, not I will. David's greatest desire here is not that the Lord would rise up an army around him so that he can go and kill these people. Isn't that how we often respond, right? When something doesn't go our way? I want just, I want to see it. I want to do it. But David says, God will do this. He will repay my enemies for the evil. This is this request then, which seems over and above. Cut them off in your truth. The idea of cut them off is literally strike them with a death blow. Remember, he's talking to his brethren, Israelites. Cut them off. Cut them off from your promises, from, from, from what you have given. Cut them off. They don't deserve it. Strike them with a death blow. Wipe them away in your truth. In your truth. David here recognizes that in the, in the end, the truth always triumphs. Eventually. Maybe not in David's lifetime. Maybe not in the lifetime of his enemies. But truth will always triumph. Justice will triumph over evil, iniquity. That is David's hope, is who God is. Then we see David's deliverance, verses 6 to 7. I will freely sacrifice to you. I won't, I won't hold back. I will give you everything. I will sacrifice to you at all times. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And my eyes have seen his desire upon my enemies. Apparently in this case, David did get to see justice served. And he rejoices in that. Verse 
Graham Scroggie again wrote that. Sometimes when I'm, I'm studying, I come across someone and they just seem to get a passage and they write thing after thing after thing that I could write. And as I was studying, I came across Graham Scroggie's thoughts on this. There was multiple things I could have written down. Well, he said this. The perspective of this prayer is noteworthy. The supplicant looks at his enemies through God and not at God through his enemies. His attitude is that of the two spies and not that of the ten. If we begin with God, the enemy will dwindle. But if we begin with the enemy, we may never reach God. David had the right perspective. His enemies are around him. His enemies are against him. He seems outmanned. And yet he begins with God. He has the perspective of the two spies rather than ten spies. Not, look how great they are, but look how great our God is. Look what he has promised us. Look who he is. And that's David's perspective, and may that be our perspective. Again, Scroge kind of summed it up in this. This is how he summed up this psalm. He said, faith sees the glory of the future and the gloom of the present. Faith can be in the gloom of the present and yet find hope because it sees the glory of the future. It looks ahead. Faith sees my current circumstances in the context of the future, of all that God has promised me, of who he is and what he is doing. So Psalm 54 reveals a hopeful David. You can't help but read this psalm and, and get the sense that David is hopeful. He's almost excited as he writes this, specifically the last several verses. This doesn't strike you as a man who is in the dumps, who is gloomy. He is hopeful. Even as he is on the run from Saul, even as his circumstances don't make any sense. Why would he be hopeful? Because David's hope is not based on the strength of his followers, on his cunning this hope is based in his God, who he is, and the promises that he has given him. Amen. That song we sang, Be Still My Soul, as we were singing it, verse 2 stood out to me, because it, it ties in perfectly with what we see here in Psalm 54. Be still my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Remember that. Wherever you find yourself this evening, wherever you find yourself this week, remember that. Remember who your God is. Remember the promises that he has given you, what he is doing. The winds and the waves still know him. Don't lose hope. For those of us who are in Christ, regardless of our circumstances, we always have more reason to rejoice than to lose hope. Because we know the future. We know the God who's in complete control.